Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Robcast. I'm on the back porch today because it just felt right to be outside. And um, I have a special guest here, a longtime friend, who I'm going to introduce in a moment, and then we are going to go. So just prepare yourself. Um, anything loose, bolt it down to the floor because when this thing gets rolly, <laughs> I'm just warning you, you're going to pull over by the side of the road and you're going to roll down the windows. And I don't know what's going to happen, but it's going to be good. And I don't know why I'm hyping this episode like this, other than I've been quite excited about it for a while. Uh, speaking of quite excited, a couple more cities on the Introduction to Joy tour. I'll be in Sacramento and Santa Cruz in a few weeks. And then the tour ends in L.A. at the Lodge Room. And then it's done. So, of course, I would love to see you at any of those. Tickets and info at my site. And then tickets are up for the next round of two days. January, February, March, where we get you unstuck and on your way with whatever it is you're creating and making. And uh, there'll be some magic there. And then my beloved friend Elizabeth Gilbert and I, next May, in the desert for three days. And, uh, of course, you um, you know, it's more fun when you're there. All that info, of course, at my site as well. But now, i got to set up this episode properly, okay? So... It's like the early aughts. It's like 2001-ish. And what was happening is lots of people were talking about the HIV-AIDS crisis in sub-Saharan Africa. And um, I would read these articles about the numbers. It was almost like the data or the statistics were like, uh, I couldn't fathom this level of devastation because that just wouldn't happen in America, let's be honest. Um, so I was like early 30s. I'm a pastor trying to do good work, but also, like, there's this thing happening on the other side of the world that's massive. Uh, and so I arranged through uh, a friend to take a trip because I wanted to see this up close. I wanted to see what, it, like, what is a village like where 27% of the people in the village are HIV positive? Like, how does that even... Um, and I had heard stories of, you know, families where everybody's died older than the six-year-olds. So there's a six-year-old kid taking care of the babies, and that's, like, I'd heard these sort of stories, but uh, I wanted to see it and understand it at, at, in a more full way. So I go to Africa, and we land in Rwanda, Kigali, Rwanda, and there's this guy waiting for us who'd been arranged to be, like, our guide, and it was like a it's like, it's, it's like a white guy from Ohio. It turns out it was a white guy from Ohio named Don Golden. And this guy, we get in this SUV, and he's driving, and he starts talking. And I'm like, this is a, this guy and I, we just start talking. And we go back and forth, and we're, he is driving like he stole it through the streets of Kigali. And I'm like, who is this man who is so comfortable in this setting? The red soil, the narrow streets... Um, and for the next, uh, days on end, he took me around and showed me, um, all sorts of things I haven't seen before, but our discussion was so like, uh, it was so alive. You know, you meet those people and you're like, this is, this is doing something to me. And then we became friends and then we worked together and then we wrote a book together. And for a while I've been like, I got to introduce my Robcast friends, to the legend of Don Golden, to the actual Don Golden, who is the legend, because he so profoundly impacted my life. And now, how's that for a setup? He's here on the back porch with me. Welcome, Don. Rob Bell. Oh, man, I want to meet this guy. Was, <laughs> How is that? That was awesome. I have never... Awesome. Done. Wow. I could be like your hype man. <laughs> definitely, definitely. That's going somewhere. I mean, I got to use that somewhere. So, um, you're doing all sorts of interesting things now, but I want to go back way up to the story, a way of understanding the story that I had had bits and pieces swirling around in me, but you came along and were like, oh, it's w way bigger and better and more dangerous you know what i mean mm, um i remember so so my friends and what you'll see quite quickly is how don golden reads the story of history the story of who we are as humans the story of the scriptures and what it means to be a person of spirit and soul and heart and faith in this world you'll you'll see what i'm talking about so let's start with empire 
let's start early. Uh, the Bible starts with Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, but I remember the first time you were like, actually, Exodus yeah. is the first book of the Bible. Right. Exodus is the first book of the Bible, and Genesis is the backstory. It's, yeah. Uh, it's, in other languages, it's the first, second, third, fourth, fifth book of Moses. That's what this, the Pentateuch. Yeah. And uh, Exodus, the liberation from slavery, is the defining metaphor for the biblical narrative. And Genesis is the sort of group therapy for liberated slaves. You know, if you, <laughs> if you thought you existed for the production and consumption demands of a God on earth, Pharaoh, let me tell you, you were actually made in the image of God. And that's okay. all of Genesis. So these slaves get liberated. Right. But your, it's, they get out of Egypt, but it's getting the Egypt out of them. Yes. Because their neural pathways, their hearts, their whole lives have been shaped by, I exist to produce. Exactly. I exist to make bricks for my bondage master, essentially. That's right, that's right. So the Genesis story then is like helping you work through how you got in that mess. That's right. And yeah. that you actually, there's a, there's a goodness t to who you are. You're not an object, you're a human being. Exactly. Yeah, it really is uh, building up the identity of disempowered humanity. Um, why were you made? Who made you? What's this all about? And given some of the, the fundamental backstory, you know, what, what's the first story that's told after supposedly the fall? It is Cain kills Abel. God hears Abel's blood crying out from the ground right at the beginning. Basically, this is some ancient Neolithic literary device saying all of history is going to be defined by the cry of injustice. And the, the God that is, is all about responding to that cry and creating a group of people that will exist for that response. So that's Genesis. Uh, Exodus is about that liberation. And, you know, for me, it was, it was going to Mars Hill Bible Church and seeing, you know, thousands of pink-cheeked American, you know, well, you know, uh, well, well, uh, bathed and uh, in their right mind and with jobs and with disposable income. Why would God do all of this? And to me, it felt very profound that we have to determine wh what's the weight of this and what do we do with this now that I'm, I'm, I'm here among you, I'm with you. And so it became an, an issue of trying to distill the biblical story really simply. Yeah. And for me, it, it, all, it became all about four geographic locations, places that God inhabited in human history and what we learn about God, ourselves, our purpose in those geographic places. So uh, Egypt is the place of bondage and slavery. We've all known it. You know, we all experience it. It, it happens in, in, in uh, physical ways, spiritual ways, this kind of Egypt where we suffer, where we, where we are not fully present to who we are as humans. That's, that's Egypt. And then Sinai is the Can place back of calling. Egypt for a sure, second? please. So I remember um, when you and I first started talking about in Egypt, the gods, some people own other people, mm. and the gods are fine with this. Mm. The gods actually sanction this. Right. This hierarchy of some people oppress others. Wealth is in the hands of a few mm. where the masses don't have enough bread. Mm. The gods in Egypt are fine with this arrangement. Right. They actually are the ones backing it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so the story of the Bible is a radically subversive story because it introduces a God character who is against this arrangement, mm, the original exactly. Rage Against the Machine. Exactly, This yes. divine isn't here to keep this system in place, mm. but to subvert it, and in some ways to destroy it, because this God hears the cry. Yes. Which yes. is a radical new idea in human history. Yeah, exactly. The... Um, Israel and the Hebrew scriptures introduced a radical departure that r rather than the God sanctioning your, uh, your myth, the myth of your power and dominance over others, this is a God who disrupts that dominance and makes that of all about uh, the one that's crying out and suffering. So the Bible calls God creator six times and calls God the God who brought you out of Egypt like 35 times. That's who this God is. Who is God? God's uh -huh. the one that brings me out of the place I thought there were, where there was no hope. That's uh, who this God is. A dynamic being who's looking to liberate whoever's got the boot of empire on their neck. The as one who privileges to, the voices that we can't hear. As opposed to the one, the static 
structural God who wants mm. to keep this thing exactly like it is. Right. And then what we're going to see in these, what, what we, you know, you and I wrote this book, so I'm telling you about Isn't what you already know. Isn't it to ourselves? Exactly. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but th this really becomes a, a pattern, a fundamental pattern yeah. in the nature of the universe, yeah. really, yeah, yeah. that's being revealed in these ancient stories. And then Sinai, which it's significant that it's out in the wilderness. It's not a place you can own, a place you can dominate, a place right. you can build a city. Sinai it's is out the in the Ten wild. Commandments, by the way. Folks. Yeah, the Sinai. So the Ten Commandments are given there. And that's where the prophets believe that humanity married God. They entered into this covenant with God at Sinai. And then they became agents of liberation for others. You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You will mediate what I just did for you. You will mediate that to the rest of the world. You exist for the liberation of the rest of the planet. So that's Sinai. Yeah. So the Ten Commandments is like, a, is like the vows of a wedding ceremony. Exactly. Here's how we're going to live together. Which I always think is interesting because for so many people, well, you know, like even the standard, like completely cliche tropes about the violent Old Testament God. Um, and, and wait, 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 wait. Yeah, of course that's there. C cultures were very violent, obviously. Right. Um, but... This is, this is a, a, about a, a union and love between the divine and the human. Yeah, exactly. So what's it mean to be human? Exactly. What it means to be human is to be liberated and then take part, participate in the liberation of others. Yes, that's That's, that's right. why you're here. That's right. And, and just like it is for us difficult to fully open ourselves to the divine, we don't want to be exposed, we don't want to be found out, the people could not enter. They said, Moses, you speak for us. Don't let that... God who's fire on the mountain, he will consume us. And it's actually like, there's even some sexual imagery there. Like, you know, like he's all hot and bothered up on the mountain and they are, they are um, too timid to, 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 to be with him. And that union could not be consummated, could not be made complete oh, because of the fear, the right. fear of the union. And really Israel's history is part of that dance of, of not just rebellion, but also fear of being fully uh, in submission to the divine. And, you know, that's a, that's a pattern in all of us. Well, it's interesting. I'd never thought about the link between passion and justice. Mm. Like, mm. I Same want way. a better world. Mm. And I'll fight for it. I'll organize my life around it. I want, it. I want a part of this liberation. Like, there's like a, in your loins, like, I want to create something new here. Mm. You know what I mean? Right. So if you, if you, uh, if you want to keep the status quo, just cut people off from their passions. Mm. And those were where the energies are to resist, to march, right. to make noise, to right. speak up. Right. This, uh, the passion and justice have like an interesting dance. Interesting. That's, that's fascinating. Okay. So, anyway. Okay. So, in, so in jazz. Sinai, yeah. So, so, <laughs> so, so in Sinai, that place of calling and purpose. Yeah. But you can't live on the mountaintop, you know, you can't live in, in a place that's, that's removed um, the, those high points in life. Uh, you, you come out of that and you head towards Jerusalem. That's the next place. And that's the place of blessing and power. You know, there's, there's, a, lot of, uh, there's, there's a lot of tension around wealth and what its purpose is. And there's so much abuse of wealth that that's natural and it's understandable. But wealth and power were given very clearly in, in this uh, narrative for the purpose of upholding justice and righteousness. So yeah. God's going to bless you. Obviously, if you're called to change the world, you got to have the goods. You know, you got to have <laughs> what it takes. People have to trust you. You have to have some renown. You have to have some reputation. And you got to have the resources to be able to do it. And so Jerusalem, the place, the foundation of peace, it means it's going gonna, it's gonna to be awesome. It's going to be an amazing place because it's going to have to be something that's attractive to the world. And it's also the place of choice. You know, do so I remember where I came from and what I'm to do and why I have this or do I lose the plot? So the Queen of Sheba comes to mm. Jerusalem to visit mm. the great so King Solomon. Yeah. She tours all of his palaces and grounds and his gardens. Yep. Yep. And she says, I know why you've been That's given exactly all this right. blessing yeah. and wealth and goodness. Yeah. So that you would. And what's interesting, the English translation maintain justice and righteousness, which can, which can appear sort of like, mm. but it's like, no, you've been given this. Yeah. And you of all people, because you were once a slave. <sighs> you were once under somebody's boot heel. You didn't have any hope. You, you were like the Kurds today. You know, there's nobody on your side. And then being brought out 
and being given an empire, you of all people will not go the way of all these other empires. Right. You will uphold justice and right. You'll create a new world order because that's, uh, that's what God has called you to do. So she's like, I know why you have this. You have this to spread it around yeah. to, to, so that you can hear yes. the cry of the oppressed right. just like your people's cry was heard. Right. And that Jerusalem is this place of what will you do with what you've been given? Will you use it to build your empire? We talked about the empire of indifference yeah, in the book. Exactly. Yeah. Or will you use what you've been given to spread it around, to that's right. share it with those who need it most? And the irony for the subtle reader, and that's why this book, this book is so amazing. In the hands of the powerful, the this Bible, book, by the way. The Bible. <laughs> this, this book, in the hands of the powerful, too often becomes a structure of justification for privilege. You know, it becomes this thing that justifies what you have, not a pathway of liberation. Yeah. It's a structure of justification. And you can see for the subtle reader that is beginning to happen in Jerusalem because while she's there making these claims of praise about why they've been given this, there are these two passages on either side of that story. One is... 9-11. First Kings 9-11. Exactly. It is. Man, yeah, that's, that's like we wrote this book together or something. Uh, <laughs> is the, you know, we all know about the 700 wives and the 300 concubines. And that's, that's a picture of a heart that's going astray uh, from God. And, and evangelicals especially love to remember, oh, you know, he, Solomon lost his way because of all these women, so you, so you need to... Storyteller you know. is slanted against Solomon. The storyteller wants you to be like, this guy, Yeah, he yes. had it all and he loses the plot. That's right. And we know about the moral infidelity and licentiousness of Solomon, but we read right over and here is a... Here is an account of the slave labor that Solomon used to build his temple, build the temple and his house and Megiddo. Uh, and so we read right over that. Wait a minute. Okay. A liberated slave is called by God to make a difference in the world. He's given everything he needs to do it. And he ends up enslaving others. He's you know, a, it's almost new like, pharaoh. it's almost like if an immigrant nation tried to build a wall to keep out immigrants. <laughs> I mean, almost. <laughs> This is what happened when you and I started spending time together, talking together, and then working together, is we would just read these ancient stories. We would just riff on these ancient stories, mm. and mm. you couldn't help but arrive at America. Yeah. You, we would just be there in no time. Like, well, wait, these, these it's, whether or not, it's not about these stories happening, happened, they're happening. Well, we they're Americans ongoing. love to talk about, you know, we're... we're we, this is America, you know, we, we're the best, we're the great. Well, the, the price is that, you, that the eye of history is on you very particularly. It is on us. And, and uh, I, I, you know, as we laid out in the book, the axis where America finds itself, I believe, although you, you can break down this metaphor in many ways, is from Jerusalem to the next yeah. geography, which yeah. is Babylon. You know, we um, especially many Christians, conservatives love to love to read the text and read America as Jerusalem, but we are much, much, much more Babylon, which also you know the Book of Revelation talks about Rome as Babylon and and as as being unfaithful. Being so say more about that. If you're in Jerusalem and you do not use what you've been given to protect and care for the most vulnerable, then you end up in what's called exile. That's right. Yeah. The giant story yeah. that often gets buried. Yeah, the, I mean, the inevitable... You're far from home. The inevitable outcome of losing the plot, forgetting why you've been given yeah. what you've been given, forgetting where it came from, how you got there, uh, is, is regret, is, uh, is to lose your way and then to find yourself in that place of loss and regret. And so Babylon is that is that place and then the beauty the beauty of this the nature of this god that's revealed in this pattern is psalm 137 by the rivers of babylon we hung our harps and we wept and and the, when the people start weeping they start turning we and they start remembering and they're like up. yeah and then they start crying and guess who hears the cry <laughs> the god who always hears uh. the cry he hears that cry and then they start having these these poets start throwing down sort of art metaphors to picture a better future and it's like you know if you would give us back what we lost you know, the spirit of the lord would be upon us and we would preach the gospel good news we'd make it about the weak we'd be the ones that heard the cry 
And that's what we'd be about. That's what we would do. We would envision a temple that would be so big the whole world could come and worship you in that place if you would only give it back. And then therefore, when Jesus comes, that's the one who comes. He's the one who comes. Because the first exodus, we had Moses, who was a leader, who led us out of that liberation. Yes. Uh, but we could get led out of this liberation and just fall back in the same old trap. So all of creation needs a liberation. Yeah, that's so It right. becomes like the cosmos, the whole thing. So then we need a new Moses yeah, for a new right. exodus. Yeah, and this is so, an ultimate. This is an ultimate and final one in which everything gets to be baptized and renewed inside the life of this God. And, it's, and it is like, it is as big as Isaiah's vision of an completely re, renewed order. And, and those of us who are faithful Jesus followers today are living in that order. We're, we're not in that exclusionary, angry world of who's in and who's out. We're in, we, we are the first fruits of this world of flourishing and blessing for everybody. At least that's what we ought to be doing. Tell me how, so tell me about Empire. What, because you travel all over and interact with all sorts of different people. <clears throat> what are the th truths about Empire that go way back that are at work now that people don't see or that are just below the surface guiding this whole thing. Remember, you and I talking about uh, an anim uh, empire needs an animating myth? Right, right. I, I think that the most sort of pressing and befuddling issue today that links to this is white privilege. Mm -hmm. you know, there, there's something about privilege that skews our hermeneutic. You know, it's it, it messes like how, you how we read, read how we see things. Power, you know, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely, Lord Acton. When you are in power, you get a distortion about yourself, about others. And it is it's very subtly at play that you use your religion to justify yourself, what you have and the future that you want. So a lot of there's a lot of displacement fear in among white folks today that a lot of the anger is about is really a fear like man i used to know how to rule this world and i see a world on the horizon in which i'm just one among many i just woke up and found that there are a lot of other voices in this room and we're supposed to moderate our tone to accommodate them and i don't like it i like being the center of the tension in this room and that that has a lot to do with sort of imperial psychology and pathology that is at at the kind of the deeper Roots, and then I think the which the is uh, 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 which is a deeply held. I'm supposed to run this. Yeah, yeah. And when I, and when you come, when whoever you are, and you get to come in and be part of it, that gets to my credit. Look what I did. Look how magnanimous I am. And when you realize, oh, that's that, the whole, like look at the converts we won. Yeah, yeah uh, exactly. And look how you know we're not only in power, we're generous and benevolent. But but the real world that we're living in, one in which. All the voices are being privileged. You know, when, when you hear, you know, Black Lives Matter, when you hear people say White Lives Matter and Blue Lives Matter as a response to yeah. Black Lives Matter, that to me is the imperial psychology that's completely missing the fact that you wouldn't, America wouldn't speak, I wouldn't speak to one of my children if, if Olivia, one of my twins, said, I matter, I wouldn't say, Sophie matters too. <laughs> right, you right, know? right. I would say, what's wrong with, with our family that you need to say that? Yes. So I think that has a lot to do with, we live in a multicultural world that has many different narratives, and we don't know how to um, allow ours to be displaced without the fear of loss. And you see that pattern. I think, in what we just described. Um, say more about how, like we've talked about, the moment you have a mansion, then you need security cameras, mm. that the nature of accumulation and empire mm. is energy, energy and resources that, that would go to those who need it most when you are accumulating and stockpiling. A tremendous amount of energy has to go to protecting and preserving what you've accumulated. Yeah, that's right. So energies start getting distributed differently. Mm. Yeah, that, that, that's right. Um, I mean, I think, you, I think you capture it there. I remember uh, you and I talking about in Egypt, the pharaoh is storing grain mm. and how uh, 
oh, what happens in Empire is somebody storing all the grain. So somebody is racking up massive amounts mm. of accumulated wealth. Yeah, that's right. That's which means right. then when the famine comes, everybody's going to be dependent on this one That's exactly right. The, and then going back to that idea of a backstory, the, the god of... The God of the universe is a God of infinite creativity, of effervescence. It's always making and creating and making. And after uh, thin enters the equation, I mean, to use that old metaphor, it disrupts that and, and that sense of who this God is, this infinitely creative God, and introduces the myth of scarcity. You know, I, I don't have all that I need. I fear that I won't, and therefore it, it, it justifies me acting against you on my behalf, and therefore the second myth, the, the, uh, the myth, myth of redemptive of scarcity, violence. Myth of redemptive violence. That's right. Yeah, and those two really do define our, define our time today, and they come out of this ancient text, and that, that's the amazing thing. You know, the, the Bible is being really, really mishandled among us today, and I don't blame anybody who just can't tolerate it, but... To me, it is just—it is just so incredible. This, you know, ancient Neolithic stories and ancient classical stories. This old memory of how patterns work. Yeah. Uh, super subtle. If we can just be humble and and kind of uh, read it for the narrative that it is, it, it teaches us so much that we have to learn today about. You know, we can trust this God to uh, to give us what we need to provide everything that we need and we can enjoy we can enjoy the ride we, we don't have to fear the myth of scarcity that's what it means to be a, okay, a so Jesus you, follower and when I first met you 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 early on mid-20s you started going to the places in the world where the greatest tragedies were unfolding yes remember at one point your passport had like 60 countries yeah. stamped on it yes you, yeah, that's now it's now up closer to eighty now. Is yeah. it really? Mm -hmm. So you at a at a young age just started traveling back and forth between first world and third world, between this incredible abundance mm. and comfort and places yeah. just devastating, uh, just devastating. Disease, yeah, I always wanted to disaster. live abroad, which I did. I lived in Europe and uh, I lived in Austria, I lived in England, but I always wanted to live in Africa or wanted to live in Asia, and it just didn't work out that way. And what I found out, it was it was really more of a calling to be in that liminal space between between the extremes in our world, and and I got to do that. And I and I recommend you know that for anyone to to travel to see the world to see these uh, places that need attention. I I believe that the world is sort of arranged in this kind of means-meaning equation. There are a lot of people in, among us that have everything but meaning and purpose in their life, and then there are a lot of people that have the cause and the struggle and the, and the meaning. They just don't have the means to get on with it. And yeah. when you can bring those people together in a, that means-meaning equation, it's like nuclear fission, you know? Which I mean, is it just creates you energy. You've been doing this for years and years and yeah, years. Yeah, that's, that's, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So now, tell me where all this leads you to now. Like, yeah, so I, you know, I... Can we I, talk about getting arrested first? Well, sure. Well, let, let, <laughs> you know, for me, when I met you, it was, it was I was involved in the charitable aid world uh, and, yeah, with good. World Relief. And it was, I loved that work. I, with two different agencies, I, I did about 15 years of work with, uh, in the aid world. And that was amazing. I got to see lots of great work. I mean, the, the, the work that we did around uh, AIDS response and empowering churches and communities to prevent and care for um, those with AIDS. That was, that was amazing. And then um, that does lead, though, to activism. You know, there, there, there are structural reasons why there are problems in the world. And so often policy issues and uh, lead you to become more active, especially living in the United States. You know, you're a citizen of this country. You see things that you don't like in policies, and you want to stand up. And three years ago, I was uh, uh, invited to work with Tony Campolo and Shane Claiborne at Red Letter Christians. And 
Red Letter Christians is a network of Jesus and justice writers. And By the way, in the Bible, in the passages about Jesus, where he actually says stuff, it's like in red letters in yeah, some translations. That's so that's right. like an inside baseball thing. Inside anyway. baseball, yes. Which we always get to describe as inside baseball, and then it's always it's always helpful. People are like, oh, you mean you want to like take Jesus' words seriously? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, cool. It's like, do so, what he said to do. Yeah, so the last three years, I've been involved in... in with some radical activists, Jesus followers, who really are putting these words into practice. And, and that's, been, that's been really exciting, getting to, you know, Shane Claiborne fights very specifically for, for policy changes around the death penalty, for example, around gun, uh, around the proliferation of violence and guns. And, and the, the Red Letter Network is, is taking up those causes and all kinds of things. And so it's a progression. You for years yes. you're traveling around the world. There's a crisis here. There's a there's an earthquake. There's a um, a virus that's spreading rapidly. And so you are connecting first world resources, yes, m- money and expertise and such to help deal with this emergency. That's right. Aid. Yes. But then after a while you're like, wait, 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 wait. Why did this happen? Yes. So there's some structural reason why this because this wouldn't have happened over here. Yes, in this city. that's right. This would have right. happened in Dallas or Portland or Boston. Exactly. So yes. what is the larger? So you go from aid to activism, which is we yes. got to change these larger structural things. Yeah, there's this uh, saying that if you scratch injustice, if you scratch compassion, you will find injustice. So the things that move us, if you look a little deeper, there's often someone that's doing something to make that thing perpetual and to to perpetuate that thing. And so activism is really trying to get behind that. Evangelicals, my my tribal background in in Christianity, doesn't do a lot of that outside of a few narrow sort of wedge cultural issues. So that was all very new and and really, really phenomenal. I I got to, you know, I got to um, lean into the healthcare crisis. There's so many, even today, as many as 30 to 40 million Americans that are uh, not adequately uh, resourced when it comes to health insurance or health care. And, you know, living in the wealthiest nation on the planet, the only OECD country in the world that in which that's the case. Uh, and so about that. The, What's happening in America is not happening in other first world developed countries. Exactly. We're yes. like way behind. Yes, that's right. And we pay more per capita f- per, for health care than they do even though most of us don't get the health care, or many of us don't get the health care, we're still paying more overall. So it's, it's about arrangements. And, and as so Walter Brueggemann says, justice is about what belongs to whom and how to give it back to them. You know, so what belongs to whom and how to give it back to them. And how to get it back to them. Interesting yeah. that this country that is so known for innovation can't figure this out. We can put a person on the moon, but you can't take care of the healthcare issue, and that's because a handful of people are getting super rich, and they would that would come to an end. And so, I mean, it's a structural issue that requires activism, and I got to be involved with some of the most amazing people, and activism is often where you find these really key barometers. Let me give you an example. Uh, one of uh, our Red Letter Christians, who's also a World Relief colleague, is Jenny Yang. And Jenny, Jenny Yang and Matt Sorens are the evangelical experts on the issue of refugees, refugee resettlement. And, you know, if you, if you know the Bible, if you know the story that we just read, the widow, the orphan, the alien, the foreigner, they are the barometer of spiritual health. If you, when the Bible wants to look at who's healthy spiritually, it isn't the nature of how, how we gather or what our buildings look yeah. like. It's the condition of the widow, the orphan, and the yeah, foreigner. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so that's a barometer. How are our foreigners? Well, here's how they are. The, on an average, we take in 100,000 refugees a year since 2000. America receives 100,000 refugees a year. And that's a pitiful number. That's a low number given that there are 20 million refugees on planet Earth and 60 million displaced people. We only take in 100,000 per year, but at least we were doing that until this latest administration came to power and this year, we will bring in only 18,000 refugees. And next year, it's zero. And 
there, there has, this is a, a beautiful partnership between the government and churches through World Relief, International Rescue Committee. It's a partnership that brings refugees here. Refugees is a specific class. It means people who are fearing for their lives and who come with a well-founded fear of persecution. That number now is down to 18,000. The refugee resettlement uh, structures are decimated. Offices are being closed. And... Uh, Matt Sorens and Jenny Yang are evangelicals saying to evangelicals, you voted for this president. Would you mind letting him know that this is wrong and that you care about this? That's the kind of activism that's essential that red letter Christians and, and many you know, people of faith and good conscience are, are fighting for. And for the last three years, I took a deep dive uh, into that world of, of activism. It led to uh, a relationship with uh, Reverend William Barber, who I think is the is the, the the Martin Luther King Jr. of our day. He he's the Amos. His hair is most on fire today, <laughs> in terms of bringing the 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 biblical prophets to bear on power, and um, and he's he's this fusion organizing, bringing everybody from every different group, not just blacks, not just LGBTQ activists, but everybody uh, behind what's called the Poor People's Campaign. Um, twice I've uh, been uh, arrested with him in D.C. Once uh, for, Rob, you'd be proud of me, I disrupted Congress on the day that... Did uh, you really? Yeah. This, they this, let this, you in to the, to the... We waited in line with everybody, but that morning we had organized 30 uh, clergy. That morning we, um, we organized to uh, basically make a statement that while the Obamacare is about to die today... We want to stand up for people who need health care. And we were represented by some people who, whose lives depend on that health care, as all of uh, many of us do in the What's long run. What's it like run. that morning when you wake up and you know you're going to be arrested? Well, you know, I... Are you nervous? I was nervous, but I was also unaware. You know, I didn't really understand until it was happening. There was, a, there was like a spiritual sensitivity to being in the heart of this beast. You know, you're, we are now at the, we're at the physical heart of this beast. And I remember when we waited in line, we had everything was ready. We got into uh, the, the rotunda, of the, the, the Capitol Gallery, and it was time to stand up and do our ridiculous chant, you know. And it feels stupid. I mean, who wants to be doing this kind of thing? It feels ridiculous. And... Uh, what do you have in your in your head and heart? I just what had images? fear. I had fear and awkwardness. This is weird. I don't want to be here. I'd rather be home watching Netflix. This is stupid. But it's like, no, I, you know, we're here now. We got to do it. And so, you know, we we did it. And John McCain was on the floor. I mean, he didn't he didn't like what we were doing. But later that night, he is the one vote that put his thumb down and kept Obamacare in place and has preserved some level of care for millions of people. Um, so that that day, then there, that that experience, and then when when you're arrested with Reverend Barber, mm -hmm. and you're sitting in a cell with him. Mm -hmm. What's this great man? I mean, he's he's legend. Yeah. What's he like in the cell? He Is was he like, talking. He Is was he... like a kid in a candy store. He was like, he was literally on the bus on the uh, on the police wagon taking us to. He was messing with his handcuffs and getting in and out of them, and he he was playing. He he was. Having a, he was having a ball. Uh, so, okay. Yeah, that was that was Reverend Barber for me. It I mean, was, this legendary African American preacher. Yes. Who has been standing up to injustice for years, fearless, yes. poetic. Yes. He gets arrested and he's being taken to the jail. Yeah. He's not tense. He's not, not all, all sweaty and agitated and worried. No. He's doing full of joy and. All the people within the system, all the police, several police officers on the two times I was arrested, whispered things like, uh, we're with you. The arresting officers yes. are saying, we're yeah. with you. The, especially the second time, which was about um, separating kids at the border. That's the time that I spent a, an afternoon with William Barber and Doug Padgett in a jail cell. Be, be, and that one we were arrested for what's called incommoding. Incommoding? Incommoding, yes. Yes, incommoding is on my record. It means uh, there are certain places in Washington, D.C. around Capitol buildings and the White House where you can't stand or can't you can't gather or something. Yeah. You can't stand or you can't hold a sign. You can't commode. Yeah, you can't commode. So we, we purposefully commoded and uh, we held a sign up um, 
that was uh, related to the border and just bringing awareness to separating kids at the border. And this just was so egregious. It was right about the time uh, that Jeff Sessions quoted Romans to justify, to, he quoted a Romans Submitting to 13. authority exactly. and the people in authority don't bear the sword. When yeah. people quote, like when he quoted the Bible like that, I get so angry. Yeah. It makes me so furious. Yeah. Yeah. That, that kind of uh, distortion. That so, so Reverend, and Barbara is, he's laughing. He's doing magic tricks with his handcuffs. Yeah. And he's um, bringing joy to the, 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 the police officers and, you know, I mean, creating a, a very human kind of interaction. And I asked him during that time, and, you know, are you encouraged or are you, or are you discouraged? He said, I'm, I'm, I'm very encouraged, brother. This is a long, this is a marathon. And, um, we're, we are building a poor people's, uh, campaign and, um, you know, we've got, uh, the spirit of the Lord on our side. So that, um, though, you know, those three years, these last three years with Red Letter Christians has taught me a lot. And there, there is, you know, my, my family from Southern Ohio, almost all Trump supporting, um, one of my family members called me the other day and asked me, uh, so Don, you still employed in the grievance industry? In the what industry? The grievance industry. I was like so <laughs> insulted. So I was like, that was like, what a wow, you know, what a shot, oh, that you is. know. Um, but That's I also, brutal. I also know that I understand where she's coming from. She's not connected. She's, you know, she has this person has a job and has health care and doesn't get it um, and and isn't really attuned to the cry. To me, what I learned from this book that we wrote is that God is the God who hears the cry. So who's crying out? Who's got something to say? There's a lot of people defending things, but the ones who are crying out, I want to listen to them. I want yeah. to hear what they have yeah, to say. Yeah, and yeah. so that that has, th these last three years, um, but here, I also found myself getting pretty angry, getting yeah. pretty, really having to work hard to keep my soul uh, yeah. healthy. Um, and I, I was actually starting to read a lot of Marxism, a lot, a lot of Marx and Marxism, yeah, um, Slavoj yeah, yeah. Zizek. Because you have you to know, go to the structures. You have yes, to go and, to the, and really yeah. kind of looking, and, and sort of the basic framework of Marxism, very wealthy people paying, uh, paying other wealthy people to convince working people to blame poor people. You know, that's classic Marxism, and I think that's at play today. I think that's very much at play today. But the day that I opened an Amazon Prime package to, to extract the T-shirt with a picture of Karl Marx on the front of it, I knew I was in trouble. I just <laughs> bought, I just purchased a Karl Marx T-shirt from Amazon. By the way, dear Karl Marx, someday, <laughs> long after you're gone, there'll be a T-shirt we can buy of your face on it, but it will be sold by a company in which the guy who started the company is the richest man in the history of the world. And he'll make billions. Some days he'll, his value will go up by, his worth will go up by billions. And the tax structure that year will be such that he will pay, his he will company not, will pay zero His company will not taxes. pay. <laughs> they will and not pay. Marx has this idea of what's uh, commodity, uh, commodity fetishism. A thing is not a thing and it's right. A thing is the spiritual power you imbue it with. Ah, right. And Fashion right, in a nutshell. Why are those jeans this yeah, year? Yeah, yeah. You wants? see those, those, Why Am are those, those Amazon Prime commercials where somebody's looking in the, at their kitchen and they fantasize about this sexy chair. I mean, it's truly sexual. Yeah. It's, it is a fetish. It's like a wooing, a seduction of yeah. sorts. And so when I somehow distorted my brain to buy a Karl Marx t-shirt, I knew I was in trouble. So I literally, this is the beginning of this year, I got off social media I, I don't have a television, so I was not get, having any inputs. Anything I was learning would be long form, reading books. I took three months to just ask myself the question, what's my role? What have I learned? What, what should I be doing? And uh, that, when I started thinking back to some of the best things that I'd ever been a part of, they had to do with that crossover between charity and philanthropy or, or development and economics. Yes. Let me give you an example, and I've got some interesting information to share with you. When I came to Mars Hill... Uh, Years ago, Don and I worked in the same church together. Sorry. Editor's note. Go on. Editor's note, yes. So I came to work with you at, yeah. at Mars Hill, and we were asking this question, 
what is all of this resource for? Right, right, right. And we came Why up have with all this, these people gathered? What's the point of yeah, this? Yeah, right. And we came up with this idea, joining the God of the oppressed to make a measurable change in the world, if you remember. Yeah. And we had X, Y, Z. Like, we're going to do something. We don't know what it is yeah. for a while. It was just X, Y, Z. And the Z became engaging in microfinance in the poorest economy in the yeah. world in Burundi. Yeah. And So microfinance is you give somebody a small business loan. So right. they can start a business, so they can put a roof over their heads, send their kids to school. And, and it's at the poorest of the economically yeah. active. It's, it's small groups of women who are each other's collateral. So the $50 loan is covered by uh, the group if, if it's not repaid. Well, that bank that we started, in, yeah. there were maybe 1,000 clients. It has 17,000 clients today. <laughs> it is so almost awesome. entirely self-sufficient so yeah. you don't have to be pouring money in it to keep it going it makes its own money and covers its own costs uh, and pays its own staff i mean that's yeah. amazing yeah and that's in the poorest economy in the world or one of the poorest yeah. economies in the world yeah. that thing is living it's also a great overlap between right and left because on the left you have a desire for economic inclusion you know you, you, you progressives want to see more people yeah. involved but on the right you have this passion for wealth creation you know pull yourself up well, microfinance, they both can make friends in that yeah. place. Yeah. So I started thinking you know, about that and started looking into it. And what I found is that the energy that we saw that existed in the, the charity aid world back in the 2000s, that is now in what's called impact investing. People using investment dollars specifically to design market-based solutions to the world's biggest problems. And I just started reading about it and seeing how much energy was in it and seeing all the innovation and how, how so much is just being pulled out of the world into these new businesses to do good and to solve problems. A lot of it's being driven by the need uh, for climate justice and climate forward kinds of businesses. And I just was like, God, that's what I want to do. And I just started calling people. And next thing I knew, I, I um, landed a couple contracts as a consultant uh, for a couple of these organizations. And, and um, I, I've been able to make this transition, or I'm in the process of making this transition, into a really dynamic and exciting world of impact investing and market-based solutions to, uh, to problems. So in some ways, the arc is there's aid. Let's get connect these first world to third world. The, mm. There's a crisis. So these people have money. Give the money to this thing. Let's then you then aid moves you into activism. These structural issues, mm. but now this impact giving is like new creation. Almost. Yeah, it's like creating new structures that are like fair and just and equitable and generous. And and how much of that is driven by the economy? So if you look at all of the investable assets in the world, the whole yeah. economy. If it were divided into 200 parts, charity would be one part. All of the charity in the world would be one part of the money that's floating around. Then one out you, of 200. Yes. That's a tiny, tiny, yes. in, yeah, yeah. Like half I, percent. I've pretty much devoted my entire life to that tiny little piece of the economy, oh. pretty much. Yeah, right, right, right. You know, and it's not going anywhere, you know? It may someday get to 2% or whatever. If you want you to know. tilt the world, yeah, it's probably giving not gonna happen there. is seems like, oh, obviously you would go and give a bunch of money, but you're, you're like, no, because you'd be playing in this one tiny little sliver. And then if you add all the bilateral and multilateral aid, that is the USAIDs, the governments of yeah. the world, the multilaterals like the UN, then it's another seven or eight parts. So let's just say 10. Whoa. So 10 of these 200 parts are all of the world of people trying to organize money to do good is happening in that 10, of, 10 parts of 200. Tiny, tiny, and then yeah, all yeah. of the money that's actually getting stuff done is actually happening in this other place. And, and Rob, let me give you another, another piece of Bible here. Let's go, let's <laughs> Ladies go Bible gentlemen, This again. is Don Golden, by the way. <laughs> Just getting warmed up at the 48-minute mark. <laughs> let, let, so let, let's, some Bible here. Yeah. The first martyr, who is that, that in, the, in the New Testament uh, story? That's Stephen. Stephen. Stephen, right. So he, he's brought before the Sanhedrin. You know, this is like, like the, the political council. Right, the sort of political, yeah. religious, juridical yeah. body. The industrial, religious, military complex That's of exactly this day. who it is. That's Come awesome. on. Well, good. well done. Well said. And he gives this speech, and they kill him. <laughs> okay, yeah. so what's he say to get himself killed? Well, he basically tells their history a lot like we did, because yes. that's kind of how we learned right. it. But then at the end, he starts quoting scripture. And then he ends it with just quoting scripture. Stiff-necked, 
people. Yeah. That's from the end of Deuteronomy. You people could have helped change the world, but instead you built empires and found yourself. And yeah. then he quotes this particular passage from Isaiah 66, 1 and 2. Heaven is my throne, God says, and the earth, earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build me? He's basically challenging the authority of Jerusalem. He's saying, you compromised religious people colluding with coercive government. You locking everybody out. Who, who do you think you are? I mean, this God you serve, heaven is his throne. He keeps his feet here. <laughs> You're going to build a place for this God. What's this house going to look like? Well, this house in that text is the word oikos. Oikos shows up all over uh, the New Testament. Yeah, yeah. Oikos is that place where we exercise our discipleship, where we are responsible to see life flourishing. But oikos is also where we get the word, word economics. Economy. Oik. Right. So the right. question would read in Greek to the first church. Yeah. What kind of economy will you build me? Yeah. And they kill yeah. him for that. Yeah. Because we can talk they all smell we want. They smell we the can give all we want. We can bitch and moan about all we want, but the money, show me the money. How are we going <laughs> yes. to organize this? And let, the, the 2017 tax bill, yeah, I mean, right, right, right. it was designed to, to remove $1.5 trillion from the economy, most of which is de designated for essential services for the people crying out the most, to God. Right, right. right. You know, who need the most yeah. help. There was this interview right when it passed with the vice president, and he was asked, like, the, the question was something like, like 83% of Americans are against this yeah. because they understand that this ta new tax code is ag against them. Yeah. And he, like, he just, he had nothing to say. That's right. What kind of economy are you going to build me? So, see, you can see how animated I get. That's how I somehow woke up one morning opening up a Karl yeah. Marx t-shirt. But I had to ask myself, wait a minute. Yeah, right. My, I'm, yeah. A, I'm a nine on the Enneagram, if you know the Enneagram, which I know you do, but like if a, you listeners like out there. You, like that's a way of understanding people's character. Sort of, and, and, right. and the nine, I... Peacemaker. I, yeah, and I always use you? the phrase that you... Yeah, I always thought I was a five, but I learned I'm a peacemaker. I'm, my, I'm designed to integrate. I'm designed to do what, you, uh, what I picked up from you, love everybody, and you're next. <laughs> you know, whoever's I in front that, of me, my, that's my, my, and that's actually how I am. When I'm healthy, I, what I learned during activism is make our hates generic and our loves particular. Uh, you know, like I hate this tax code. I hate. Anything without a face. I hate. It's like it doesn't what, have a face. You, you, can, you can hate it. That's right. Yeah, but, I got but it. But we have to hate things. We've got to get riled yeah. up about yeah, things. This injustice. This, that's yeah, right. I, the, the, this tax structure is something deplorable because it is, it is doing what Steve Bannon said it would do. It's deconstructing the administrative state. And that's going to hurt people who are marginal and vulnerable and people of yeah. color, especially so. Yeah. So I had to take the decision that I think in this new space where people from both sides have to come together or can come together to create a new world, what kind of economy will you build me? That takes people from the left to the right. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. It, what matters is can we work together to create market solutions to some of the world's intractable problems? Man, oh man, oh man, oh man, oh man. Okay, so you, um, people can find you. People can get involved. People can, yeah, yeah. what so, are you looking for? Well, here, yeah, so, <laughs> I, so I connect investors, nonprofits, and philanthropists to the knowledge and the networks they need to make an impact. That's, yeah. that's what my contribution to this new yeah, world yeah. is. And so already, I want to tell you just quickly a few of the things that I'm, yeah. that I'm working on. So in, uh, in Burundi, where we have this, this background. Central Africa, right? In the, it's the, it's yeah, the Afri central. It's, they call it the Great Lake, so it's central and east. Yep. Uh, one, of the poorest, uh, one of the poorest economies. There, I'm working with a fund. Uh, a, a group of Christian investors came together and created a fund, an investment fund. You can't name a fund in a, in a setting like this for SEC reasons. 
Um, but it invests in businesses in Africa. And one of them is, it's called Long Miles Coffee Company in Burundi. And they have 5,000 employees, 5,000 farmers, and a probably 40 or 50,000 people that are part of the value chain. Coffee is an amazing commodity to invest in as a development product because it's, it's so widespread and engages communities so, so deeply. And uh, that business is creating super high quality organic uh, fair trade coffee. And that's the kind of thing that people can invest in and actually get a return. Fascinating. Uh, uh, hmm. Ghana is one of the four one of the four leading economies in the world today. Fastest growing uh, is Ghana. Ghana will grow this year at eight point eight percent. Fastest growing economy in the world. Ninety percent of the impact investing in the world, 80, 80 or ninety percent of this kind of investing that's going to Africa to do good, is actually going to white people. No way. Yeah. Uh, white-owned businesses. And in Ghana, I am partnered with a group called the Ghana Climate Innovation Center, and they specialize, they're a part of uh, Ashesi University, which is like the Wharton School of Business in West Africa. They, uh, they are working to create climate-smart businesses with African entrepreneurs. I mean, they are doing some of the most creative stuff, like... Uh, like turning plastics into fuel, uh, growing and cultivating bamboo to turn it into charcoal. Uh, these are super important business opportunities. And uh, yeah, that's and how. So and these things are happening all over the world. All over the world. This is the giant thing for me for so many people who are like, is the world falling apart? Um, is there any reason for hope? Um, I was uh, doing a Q&A last year, and a woman just raised her hand partway through and said, are we fucked? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, wait, 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 wait. You gotta, there's like a thousand dongle. There's like so many interesting things happening. You know, another thing that I've learned through this, this process is entropy is at work in the universe. Things yeah. do Break die. Apart. But yeah. genesis is also at work. Yeah. Protogenesis <laughs> yeah. is also yeah. at work. Those two births, things are new both births. happening. Yep. Yep, and they actually even kind of, in some ways, are related to. Are one things another. falling apart? Yeah, are they all sorts are. of new things being birthed? Yeah, yeah. So let's do. It. And yeah, so yeah. for me, you know, yeah. attracting people who want to come and experience these adventures, going to Burundi. Are you going to make a killer amount of money in Burundi? No, but there are ways to create market-based solutions that keep going, I and mean, we've been a part of that. There are seventeen thousand so clients at Tarami because Bank. of these tremendous systemic abuses. For so many people, the word capital has become a bad word. Yes, But that's they're right. typing that sentence, capital is horrible, capitalism is evil. They're typing it on their computer that yeah. they purchased, <laughs> that somebody designed and innovated. Yes, yes that's, um, that's exactly right. And that's then when exactly somebody comes right. along and says, no, 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 we, we need market and business and capital, there's like a, for a number of people, there's like a, it's like a trigger, it's like a twitch. It's like yes. a, no, that stuff's all, we need just, we shouldn't even have money. And you're like, well... Um, let's the, let's move to a more new creation way of seeing the whole thing. That's 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 exactly How do you right. And all the good of all of this, and leave behind the stuff that makes people miserable. And for me, a whole new piece of this, a brand new piece of this, is it relates to climate. You know, that my yeah. my sort of religious yeah. tribe, many are still in denial. They, they don't yeah. believe the scientists. They don't. They they are they're in denial. That's not <laughs> me. That's not red letter Christians. But it is yeah. still fairly new to me, and and so one of the, one of the new cl new clients I have, I got to tell you about this. This is a group called Resolve, and they were born out of the Exxon Valdez spill. spill. Oh yeah. And they they became expert mediators. Basically, how do you bring the people that hate each other the most together to resolve problems? Mm -hmm. And. They, they've been doing that for years around all kinds of things like conflict minerals and that sort of thing. But as they have created, started creating solutions and bringing all this synergy together, all these amazing mashups, they started finding business opportunities. And, you know, impact investing is based on two things. One is the idea of, of making an impact, you know, so you're actually, it's not like 
greenwashing or you know you really oh, want right, to do right, something right. different so it's making an impact but then the impact enterprise is the actual business that can create a return so you got to make both of those happen and they were beginning resolve was beginning to see that kind of thing happen and now they have two things that are about to go to market that are so cool in this whole environmental space uh, the first one's called salmon gold so, Rob, believe it or not, I am involved <laughs> in gold mining in Alaska. <laughs> Salmon Gold takes, goes to these old gold mines in Alaska and the Yukon called placer mines. It's a certain kind of gold mining done about 100 years ago that destroyed fish habitats and salmon runs. With help from Tiffany and Apple, Resolve goes to find placer miners and offers them technologies to find more gold and then to use the profits from that gold to restore the rivers to pre-mining mm. uh, quality. Yeah. And uh, there's a, you know, you have first, first nations are highly motivated about this restoration of the rivers. The miners get to, they know that they're extraction people that, you know, pe who, who wants to be known as a gold miner, but wow, no, we're not just gold miners. We're going in and we're, we're leaving the rivers restored. Better than they were. That's yeah, right. Yeah. And then Tiffany, they want to have, they want to have gold that has a clean source. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. And then Apple, they need this gold for their technologies. So there's an incentive there. And, and then the government has monies available for restoration that this can create and is in the process of creating a sustainable business. So that's one, which is really amazing. If you want to actually, I can literally take people to do a week of panning for gold and then see how these rivers are being restored. Oh Within word. weeks, they go from no salmon in them to salmon coming back after generations. It's, that's really, really awesome. And these are just, these are- um, Yeah, give me one more. Okay, and then the other one is called TrailGuard AI. TrailGuard Artificial Intelligence. This is a Don this Golden. is an artificial <laughs> intelligent anti-poaching system that empowers African rangers to stop poaching before it happens. There's this is a serious serious problem. Yeah. The, between 2010 and 2012, 100,000 elephants were killed. There are only 100,000 forest elephants left and they could be extinct within the next 20 to 30 years. So if you look at the Serengeti in Tanzania, it's the size of Maryland and has 150 rangers. There's just no way to cover all the choke points yeah. and to stop poaching. And so Intel has, this is a partnership with Intel, Inmarsat, a satellite company, and there are these super uh, well, the, d d dig this here. State-of-the-art Movidius Myriad II vision processing <laughs> units with custom artificial intelligence. Boom. Come on. Intel is providing that. <laughs> yeah. And engineering at pro bono cost. Yeah. So this is super high. The, the cutting. And it's, it has to operate on very low bandwidth, so that's where the satellite company comes in. But then it also has to operate from international development standards of empowerment. This isn't just putting cameras up. This is about equipping people so that their whole system can be force, mo for force multiplied. Um, so, th and this is something that um, Leonardo DiCaprio is involved in helping fund. Um, National Geographic is... Uh, is what, what, what fascinates me as a, someone who comes at this from a faith standpoint is that there is an amazing intersection between faith, yeah. between climate, yeah. and between making money yeah. in, and in ways that are, that, that are innovative. And compassion. That's and right. And, and a lot yeah, of people yeah. on the progressive side have abandoned faith. And so in some ways they've abandoned some of the deeper motivations. Not all yeah, right. of them, but yeah, right, right. America is a, re is right. a pretty religious place. And so my part with these companies is to, is to build a narrative that compels religious people. You know, Ro Romans 8 says all of creation is groaning, waiting for you yeah. to show up to yeah, this yeah. kind of thing. There are deep spiritual undercurrents. That's, that's exactly right. And this, this. this one with TrailGuard, that has all the marks of massive scalability, and it already enjoys equity investors. That is, people giving money <laughs> to become part of the ownership 
and they'll they'll make money. So, so that's the kind of work I'm doing. I can be found at uh, justcapitalquotient.com or donrgolden.com. That's me. And and one of the things that I'm really interested in, I'm interested in anyone because I'm not part of a big institution now. I do my own thing. I follow these things where they lead me. Anyone that's got a passion to do something, I mean, reach out to me and let's just talk about it and let's see where that, who do you know? What do you want to do? Part of my, part of my day is I just go through my, my Rolodex of all the people I know. Like when I learned about Long Miles uh, Coffee in Burundi, I'm like, oh, okay, Dan Brosey. He lives, in, he, I've known him for 15 years. He lives in, Tanz- uh, he lives in uh, Burundi. So I WhatsApp him. Within an hour, I get this report, Long Miles. That's one of the best companies in Burundi check. So that's what I mean about offering people knowledge and networks to get involved in this kind of impact space. You can get, you can do it through impact charitable giving. You can do it through foundations. There's a whole category called PRIs, program-related investments. If you have a family foundation, some of your money can go into investments of businesses if it's done in the right way. And so those are the kinds of resources that uh, we work with. And then, of course, investment capital. Can you believe it, Rob Bell? I mean, this is the, this is the stuff that's out there to be done. Uh, do you see, my Robcast <laughs> friends, why I had to introduce you to Don Golden? These are the kinds of people who are out there doing these sorts of things. I always, your, your global mind to me has always just been mind-blowing. Mm. That th- you, th- you were thinking in terms of countries not like miles and towns. Like you, like you're the guy who, when you hear about something in Burundi, you're like, I know some people in Burundi. I'll contact them. I mean, well, this is always your your imaginative, large intellect for bringing all these things you're, together. You're being very kind, but I, yeah, but I'm I think, the truth. but That's I think works. that, but I think that a lot of people are frustrated. I think yes, a lot of people exactly. are, are buying Mark's T-shirts yes. and not realizing how ridiculous they are being. Yeah. And they don't have an avenue. They, right. And, um, you know, I've had this time with Red Letter Christians. It's an awesome place for people to engage. But this, this speaks of the kind of new world Building that we are world. going to have to build. What kind of economy will you build me? I want anybody that has any kind of motivation to reach out to me. And I, I want to just, you know, pick up the conversation and say, what do you want to do? What can you do? Where, where should we do it? I love it. I love so it. That's, I love uh, it. And my, if I can give my email address, yes. it's, it's uh, don at donrgolden.com. D-O-N-R-G-O-L-D-E-N. Oh, yeah. and the, the, the book that Don and I wrote years ago, 2008, yeah. uh, 11 years ago we mm. wrote that book. Mm. It's called Jesus Wants to Save Christians. Uh, I think it was originally called A Manifesto for a Church in Exile. Yes. And then it, I think the title became... How to read a dangerous book. How to read like a that. dangerous book or yeah, something. Which hey, a fair yeah, game. It's, yeah. I'm so glad you stopped by. The I'm, back I'm house. really grateful. That I was you gave uh, me the, um, the the last uh, that last 20 minutes was new, so folks, I was hearing all that what you're up to now, mm. but I just felt like if you're gonna come by and give me the update, I should record it <laughs> because we would have had this exact probably the exact conversation anyway. Exactly. We just had yes. some microphones. Yes. Ah, uh, my friends, I hope that. Uh, if you're wondering what's happening in the world or if anything good is happening or if you're stuck in one of those funks, I hope that the spirit of Don Golden is upon you. You just had a proverbial ride on an SUV through the streets of Kigali. <laughs> um, so keep going. Yeah, thank you. And, and I'm cheering you on. I always have been. But I appreciate it. I'm so glad that you helped radicalize me years ago <laughs> and that you've just kept going. Uh, you're my rabbi still, Rob. Uh, so there you go, my Robcast friends. Grace and peace be with you now more than ever. <laughs>